Word is that there's going to be cooler weather coming up here in the next few days. Everybody's ready for that, right? Fall is definitely my favorite time of the year because I just love the cooler weather and the trees are still got all their leaves on them and then they start getting pretty with the browns and oranges and yellows and all that stuff. And, you know, one of the things that you can rest in is that we don't have to worry about global warming, all right? The Bible is very specific about that. It says the four seasons are going to continue until the end of the earth. That is not going to change. So we have that. There's nothing there. Just a bunch of just a bunch of people talking about stuff. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and start tonight. Let's stand. We'll sing together. Uh, Love lifted me. passage of scripture to think about when I sing this song is, uh, is Psalm 40, because right? it's in there. I'm going to see if I can pull it up real quick. But, uh, all right, so here it is. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. 
He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Oh, it's right up there. But, uh, you know, he, he literally pulled us up out of the pit. And uh, it reminded me of Pilgrim's Progress, too. You know, because if you've delved into that book at all, it talks about, you know, Pilgrim being stuck in the path and in the, in the pit. And, uh, you know, when you're stuck in sin, there's no way out except through Jesus Christ. And he gives us that. He gives us that solid foundation that we can walk on with our life. All right, let's go ahead and go on to the next one. The wonder of it all. There's no song one of them is star trek it's the weirdest thing but like kirk was talking to a robot and uh, the robot they were just meeting and the robot's like ugly bag of mostly water and he was like analyzing the body and it has like 65 percent water or something 
And then I, that occurred to me because, you know, God said, out, out of the dust of the ground he formed man and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. But we are dust and water. And that's all we are. And God loves us. And uh, I'm just thankful that he does. All right, let's go on to the next one. How he loves you and me. I'll be taking the few prayer requests that we might have uh, for everybody to, to share. Um, Pastor is still at the funeral for BJ's brother. Uh, he, he he went there this you know basically after lunch, and so uh, and the, the circumstances and all the details were kind of still coming together. And so he said, "I may be I may be there tonight. I may not be." So uh, uh, everybody's just pitching in, doing what we do um, as a routine here. Um, Uh, so at the end here, um, there's going to be a, a presentation, um, and we'll go off stream, offline for that uh, a little bit later on. Um, Juanita Posick's sister passed away in Chile, uh, and the the, um, the way things function in Chile, uh, basically, they get them, they bury them within 24 hours. So uh, obviously, she could not get down there to to participate, and probably couldn't have gotten down there anyway with her age and so forth. So, but uh, just remember Juanita in your prayers. <clears throat> I don't know if you remember the, uh, the Hodges who were in Honduras, the missionaries that we took on um, a while ago, I guess it was a couple of years ago maybe. Um, and that, that ministry is just absolutely turning and burning. Um, they're just doing an amazing job. One of their assistant pastors um, was having some physical issues and they, they, they're, they're wrestling with blood platelets and they're, they're concerned that there might be a blood cancer or a, a cancer that that, that might be the problem. So just um, uh, pastor gave his, his name. I couldn't write it down fast enough. Um, it's on their, their prayer, their prayer um, email that came out yesterday. Um, so just remember the, one of the assistant pastors for the Hodges is down in Honduras. Um, and then uh, that's the, one, the only ones from this morning. Is there anything this evening that we want everybody to know, uh, Brenda?
Okay. But her name is Josie? Josie. Okay. Like brain tumor? Glenda? Um, Your coworker? My coworker's brother had uh, a okay. Coworker's brother, heart transplant yesterday, and opportunities for a gospel presentation. Brooke? Family, and I missed the first one. A couple individuals who don't know Jesus. Okay. All right, so take those on, and then uh, when you go to prayer, remember those if you, if you can't. And I'll just open in prayer for, for this, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word, which uh, is so significant in terms of just the way life goes on. We do pray for Pastor this evening. If he's not still finished, is finishing up, or is on the way back, we pray for safety in that regard. Uh, and then just bless the opportunity that we have to um, learn this evening more about um, who we are and what you've placed us in the world to do. And we give you praise for this evening. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so one of the things that typically happens, I find, in, in life is you think you've got everything organized and you think you know where you're going, um, and then God drop, drops something in your lap and says, well, I want you to deal with this first. Are any of you familiar with World Magazine? Okay, so um, this is out of the, 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 the adult version of it that came out yesterday. Um, and it, it really, I looked at the front cover when I saw it, and I went, oh my goodness, what is this all about? Um, and it's, it's, it's a woman under a spotlight on a desolate, on a desolate corner someplace. And it says, Forsaken. Most trafficked women want to escape street life. California, and here's, listen to this, okay? California is abandoning them in an incremental push to legalize prostitution. Now, this is legalized prostitution statewide. It's not like Nevada where you've got a few rural locations where you've got it. Um, and then I, you know, it's like sometimes you, you want to read, you want to read from, from, the beginning and not get to the article that you don't want to read. Well, that, that's what this one was. And uh, so this was about San Francisco and you know, Oakland and that area up there in particular. Um, and I, I just want to read a, 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 a short section to you, and then then this is going to be my lead-in to where we're going to be tonight. But the, the, the real reason why we're, we're working on what we've been working on is because of things like this. The post-feminist notion that sex work is work, posits prostitution as a valid form of employment between consenting adults. This is in the legislation. Advocates argue some prostitutes choose the occupation, and legalization would improve working and safety conditions for them, including less violence, exploitation, and mistreatment. Now, um, 
for those of us who have a military background and have been overseas, we've seen aspects of this that, that most people who live in the United States their whole life have no clue about. Um, but when I saw that picture this morning, or yesterday, I, I said, that, that brings back memories that you could not escape just walking through cities and towns and villages in, in all parts of the, not just the third world, okay? Um, you go to Amsterdam, you see the exact same thing, and that's a first world city, right? So, um, and the, the fact of the matter is that it's, it's coming to the United States when the state of California is giving consideration to institutionalizing and authorizing and permitting, and we, there's a whole dictionary full of words that could be used there, this behavior, it speaks to something much broader than just the prostitution piece. It speaks to the character of people, etc. And And as, we, as you think about this, I, I, when, I'm thinking, when I was working on, on our presentation for this evening, the issue of secular masculinity versus biblical manhood, secular masculinity supports prostitution. Biblical manhood doesn't. And so when you ask the question as you look at this, and you go, how did this ever happen? The, the way I would answer that question is this, by asking another question. Where are the dads? Where are the fathers? Where are the granddads? Where are the brothers? Where are the uncles? Where are the, where are the, the, the men on, on the street? You know, I, I, mean, I mean, who live on, on the street that you grew up in. Um, or even, you know, when I was working on the farm um, and had to ride my bike, believe me, if, 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 I, didn't, if I didn't walk straight one in, throughout the day's work, um, <clears throat> I was given a warning, and my mom and dad knew about it by the time I got home that night, right? And so, I mean, these were, and these were serious men who did, you know, who, who you seriously respected as, as men who were hardworking guys and in, in, in all the things that you, you, you really want to deal with. And so, I, it makes me cringe because if, if this can be happening in California, and obviously there's all the, the statements about what is California and, you know, the left coast and the right coast and all the rest of that sort of stuff, but nevertheless, it migrates, all right? And there are other states in the country. They talked about Washington, New York, New York State, Massachusetts, and there were a couple of others that are given consideration to the exact same verbiage in, their, in legislation all right, in the 21st century. And so you, you just look at this, and then you, you read some of the, and I'm not going to get into it. It's, 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 it's heartbreaking, the, the age where this all begins. All right? um, and it begins like, five and six years of age, I mean, is where you see some of this stuff. <clears throat> and so, as, as, we, as we wrestle with this, and we think about what does biblical manhood really mean from, a, from the pr perspective of how do we practice it, okay? In the future, we're going to deal with, because uh, I want to move to a more positive aspect of things, but how do we, how do we deal with this, and how do we make it work? So, um, we're going to look at how to examine one's own life. Socrates, interestingly enough, said the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, and that was Socrates, okay? So he's not exactly one of us, okay? Um, but the point is, is that it's been well understood and well known for centuries, millennia, that 
that the unex, you know, you, you need to be examining your life and say, is, is it really, am I living a life that's worth living? Is it, am I living a life that's, that's adding value to society or whatever? And so as we, as we move forward, and we, we, I, had, I postulated all these questions last week, what separates uh, secular masculinity from biblical manhood, and then just threw out some questions. Does it matter? Should it? Does it redefine Christianity? Does it impact uh, culture and community? Does it impact the family? And all the answers, all those questions have a yes answer, right? Obviously, there's, 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 there's a concern. But if we get to the, to the if we cut, cut everything else out of, the, out of the picture, the one thing that separates secular masculinity and biblical manhood is worldview. And, and if, we, if we unpack the biblical worldview, which we're not going to have a chance to do, at least not tonight, um, but we'll be dealing with aspects of it in the future, a biblical worldview, and for the majority of the population to have a biblical word, worldview, makes prostitution almost an impossibility. Because you've got men who are men who respect the other gender, the other gender, and, and they, they take this stuff on, okay, uh, on, on multiple levels. And so we're, we're going to get to that. Um, but if you remember, I was, I was talking about all these books last week, and, and we're going to get to Alan Redpath's book. And what's, what's amazing to me is that his book of all of these is probably the one that is going to drive us into the scriptures in terms of understanding um, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart. And so obviously the, the focus of, of this whole study is, is for us guys and basically answer the hard questions about am I really a man after God's own heart, uh, etc. So then we, we looked at this one, and I, I'm coming back to this very deliberately. Um, <clears throat> When you understand what goes on in, in, in this world, the world of the SEALs and special ops guys, um, et cetera, et cetera, and then we ask the question, well, what's the connection to that and, and Christianity and the church? Well, while we, the picture is a little bit different, the point is identical. When, when, when these guys go through their initial training and then their mission training, and it takes two or three years of training to get to the point where they're going to be allowed to go on a SEAL team to actually be able to go out on a mission someplace in the world, um, it takes two or three years of training before they're allowed into, if you want to call it the inner circle of, of the SEALs. <clears throat> and, and the reason why it takes so much time, and it's so, it's, it's so heavily disciplined, and the, the, the details and all that, is because... Everything that they do is about life and death. You either come back alive or you come back dead. And the mission's either successful or the mission was unsuccessful. Well, what are we doing? We're on a mission as well. It's not life and death in the same way, of, but it's, it's spiritual life and death. And, and our mission in life ought to be to be prepared to go into into the battle, into the war, into whatever spiritually that, that, that's coming our way. And so I, I really suggest to, um, 
to, to us guys that if you haven't read these two books, read them. Because right up on, on page 8 of this first one, it says, for leaders, to, for leaders, the humility to admit and own mistakes and develop a, a plan to overcome them is essential to success. Mission planning and mission success is all about in training, admitting when you made a mistake. And then what's most important from a SEAL perspective and from all these the operators is this. Did you own it before somebody pinned it on your chest? And, and that's, that's the bottom line. If somebody has to pin the responsibility for something on your nose or on your chest or whatever, before you've just stepped up and said, this is what I did, this is what I, what I, I neglected, this is what I, and f start filling in the blanks, and then, then go into the, to the lessons learned perspective, you're never going to be successful because you're going to be engaged in, and as it says here, um, no, in the next one it says, there is no one else to blame. There is no room for blame shifting, period, end of discussion. As, as soon as you say he, she, it, whatever, um, basically the game's over, and you've basically lost lost any potential that you're going to have for leadership in the, in the near future because you have to regain the confidence of anybody that's going to listen to you or, or, or consider you to be somebody worth following. Um, and so just as they were simply focused on the mission and how to best accomplish it, what is the mission that we have as moms and dads, grandparents, um, uncles, aunts, etc., as it relates to, I just saw the whole whole group, of, I guess it's the Sparkies, just walk out here. So I looked at them, I was kind of watching them as they were going out here. So, like, so it's, it's not just Rachel's job to train up those kids to be who they're supposed to be. Um, every single one of us, whether, we, whether they're our kids or our grandkids or they're somebody else's, how are we, how are we reaching out to them in such a way that, that we are building into them the character that they're, they're going to need in order to go to where you know, Nick and, and, and Emily are going, in other places, you've, you've got to have it built in. It has to be tested. And so I, I put this back up because I, I can't emphasize enough that um, I would argue that, that, that every, every male above the age of 16 at least should, should read these and, and do it in your closet where you can take some notes and you can, you can pray and cry because it will, do, it will make you do both. Um, when you, when you understand, and you, you look at it through the lens of this is training me to be the man that God needs me to be to go into the spiritual battle, battlefront that's part of just being a Christian in the 21st century. It's always been that way. And that's why Red Path's book is, is, is so significant because it takes us through just a, a, whole, a whole set of vignettes in the life of David. So... Um, there's another, another quote here that, that I found to be rather significant. Because as we take a look at, as we take a look at our society, um, and, and I've mentioned this before, it, I may sound like a broken record, but I'll probably sound like a broken record until there are none, there are none uh, of these individuals anywhere in, the, in, in my purview. And that is the problem that we have today is we have, a, we have two or three or four generations um, that most of the men are not men. They're still adolescents. They are living in perpetual adolescence. And as we take a look at this as a dad, I, I'm just not trying to raise children. 
I don't want them to remain children their entire life. It's to raise them to equip child raisers. All right? They need to be being trained to understand what it means for them to be able to train the next generation and the next generation. And, and if, if all I train them is how to be children, how to play, how to fun, they don't have any capability whatsoever in terms of raising the next generation. We have to start when they're, when, when they're um, children. Um, in, in grade school, you can start with them. At the end of the day, you are the mentor. We are the mentors, the instructors, the shepherds of our sons and grandsons. And you turn it around, um, daughters and granddaughters, all right? Um, um, Ferrari, in his book, has two chapters. One is titled Saving the Boys, and the other one is Saving the Girls. He talks to the dads. He talks to the men and saying, your, your influence in the lives of those young girls that are in, in, your, in, your, in, your, in your fold, don't underestimate the significance of what you are doing as it relates to who they are going to become when they become um, young women. And so you can shepherd them in the next generation. Now, <clears throat> the, the, the next piece of this is, is, is when we, we begin to get to, <clears throat> I'll call it the nuts and bolts of some of this, where we're, where we're actually asking ourselves the questions. <clears throat> and, and so the next category of things that's, that's relevant here is the issue of modeling and mentoring, okay? Um, it, and it doesn't matter w where you're at, what you're doing, whether it's at work, it's at home, or it's on a, on a sports sports field someplace or whatever, modeling and mentoring is what, what actually trains the next generation, the next, the next group of, of young people that are going to be able to, to pick up the reins. And, and guess what, folks? We're not going to be around forever. All of us have a terminal date, all right? And the question becomes this. What have I modeled and how have I mentored all the years of my life? Because if, if I'm not modeling and I'm mentoring and all I'm doing is playing, basically we've set up the next generation for disaster. And unfortunately, in, in the United States, and the, the, the interesting piece is, is in, in most countries around the world, they look at the United States and go, how did you lose manhood and, and womanhood? How did you lose the, the, the training? And, and, and so for us, on the, on the Christian side of things, and, and the choice of these words is very, very deliberate. Uh, we're going to get to these um, more uh, on another slide. <clears throat> but knowing and obeying Jesus Christ. Now, um, when, we, when we look at that, and when you start to, to use words like this, you find that there are a lot of people who bristle. All right? Um, because they, they say, well, I know who Jesus is. Well, my question then becomes, are you obeying him? And, and well, what do you mean? I said, well, I, and I'm not talking about legalism. Jesus makes it really clear. How do you know that we love him? Because we do what? Obey his commandments, right? And so if, if we say that we're a Christian, but we're not knowing, which is growing in our knowledge and understanding, but at the same time, obeying in, in greater detail and more significance and more depth and so forth, um, Jesus Christ, we're not going to be able to lead the next generation. Right? It's, it'll be an impossibility. 
And, and so out of this idea of knowing and obeying Jesus Christ comes this, this next one, which is the knowing and displaying godly character. And, and so um, several of the books deals with the issue of, of um, um, examining our lives. And, and what, what he's, they're talking about is examining your character. And when we, and again, to go back to the, 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 um, the Willink books, character, when you're in special ops, cannot be broken. If, if you have a character flaw and it shows up in mission, you're gone. Because character is, 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 is something that cannot be violated. Who you are, what you do, and the, the, the commitment, the covenant that you make, um, when there is even the slightest you know, chafing in, that, in that, that character, you're suspect. And, and so as, as we look at this, we, we need to make sure that when we're, we look at the issue of growing and being conformed to the image of Christ and be, be being transformed, etc., is our character godly character? We're all characters, all right, of one sort or another, all right? Um, but does that character add value to society? Does that, that, does that character, is that character something that, that your kids and grandkids and, and, and the kids in the neighborhood or, or whatever want to emulate? They look, at, they look up to you because of who you are. Um, because of the way that you, the way that you function. And, and then the next one is knowing and loving one's wife. To go back to this, this article, um, and here's, here's one of the saddest ones of them all. A lot of these women are married, or were married, and you ask the question, why are they on the street? Because their husbands dropped the ball and they didn't know and love their wife. She was an object, but she wasn't a person to be, to be understood and loved, etc. And, and you know, obviously from Ephesians 4, we, you know, what, what, is the, what is the high mantle of responsibility there? To love our wives as what? Christ loved... Hello, guys, wake up, smell the roses. That's a pretty high bar to actually meet. But that's where we're supposed to be. That's where we're supposed to be growing to. It's not something that we come to immediately. It's not something that we come to innately. We have to grow into that. And there's, there's a process that goes on with loving your children. This is where you're, you know, you're, you're doing things that, that don't aggravate and frustrate and, and agitate your children. Um, and, and again, that's why some of these children, and pardon me for being blunt, boys and girls are on the streets because their dads didn't know them and didn't love them. And the numbers are, are the, the numbers across the country today in terms of the, the, the human trafficking piece, all of which relates to this piece, are, are they're astronomical. Let me just put it that way. Um, and so, it, so you can go through all of the, all of the rest of, of these, but then look at this last one, all right? Knowing your gifts 
and abilities so that you work hard and, and effectively in an area of strength rather than weakness. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and I don't want anybody to raise their hand. I don't even want anybody to get a smile on their face. Ed. <laughs> I can pick on him because he picks on me. <laughs> but, yeah, well, okay. That, we're, we're, at least you've got a compatriot, him. Takes a troublemaker to know a troublemaker, right? There you go. No, so, but here's the question. If, you were to, if I were to give you this assignment, literally, and, and I could actually control the outcome, and I would, I would say to you, I want you to get two pieces of paper, and as soon as you get home, I want you to write down strengths on one piece of paper, weaknesses on the other piece of paper, and then I want you to fill in the list for both of those. Could you write down your weaknesses and your strengths? Would you be willing to acknowledge your weaknesses and your strengths? And, and what I will tell you is until you're willing to do that, you've ba basically stepped out of a leadership responsibility. And, and I don't care where you, where you are in the spectrum of, of employment in the church, outside of the church, in the military, outside of the military, um, pick a whatever. If you don't understand your strengths and weaknesses, you will not comprehend where you can be effective and where you will not be effective. But there's a, there's a caveat here that we have as it relates to within, within the body of Christ, all right? And, and Redpath deals with this one in terms of David um, and, and, and several others. You do realize that when we're in the body of Christ with the Holy Spirit living within us and the Christ living within us, God makes selection decisions and puts us in, in, in areas of responsibility, places of responsibility, and then says, I know that you can't do this on your own, but this is where I'm placing you because I want you to learn from me to be able to be used in a way that you did not think that you could possibly be used, and you knew that you were going into an area of weakness, right? Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again, because it is so true that you, it, you would not believe it. I have no clue as to why I'm standing here tonight, or any other time, because I grew up as a, as a, as a dirt farmer kid in, in western New York, all I knew was dirt between my toes, sawdust between my, my, my fingernails, and I was, I was the most inept speaker that you could imagine, right? But God has given me a love to do this. He's taught me how. I mean, this, and this was going into the chaplaincy. I, when I came to know the Lord, and then I began to wrestle with all those sorts of things, and, and our pastor said to us, he said, Wayne, um, you need to go to Bible college. And I said, what are you thinking? And, 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 I, and he said, because I see, I see something in the future, but I said, I, I'm sort of like, you know, Moses. Two tongues, an extra set of teeth in there as well, etc. And so 
you need to know where your weaknesses are because God can then do something where, he know, where you know where you're weak and you know where you're, you're strong. And then where you're strong, that's where your greatest danger is because your strengths can be your greatest liabilities. Because it's where, you're, where you say, well, I'm strong. This is, I, I've got this down. Well, God has this, this, this word in the English language called humility and humiliation. And, and he will actually make it show up in such a way that you, know, you, you, you have to kind of eat crow on occasion. And, and then, then God does some things. So this is where I'm going to leave you tonight. Um, I, would, I would encourage you to, to, to wrestle with the issue of strengths and weaknesses, etc. Because if, if you're going to lead, you have to know those. You have to know them. And, and it's not something that you parade. It's not something that you brag about. It's not what it is. It is it, even if it's, it's as a dad, as a, as a mom or grandparent, where are the weaknesses in terms of, of, of how do I work with my kids, my grandkids, my whatever, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going we're gonna to come back to this um, in, in another week. Um, so we're going we're gonna to turn off things here. Um, I'll continue to, to talk for a couple of seconds while they're taking us offline. Uh, and then um, we'll be, um, we'll be uh, having an, uh, another alternative um, set of moments here.